Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton Council hoping for a more efficient police budget. Also, more on Service Ontario kiosks, Leon's wants to build homes, auto theft, estate planning, food insecurity, and olive oil in your coffee? Enjoy the GMH podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We do have cost pressures in this community, just like many others around this province and this country. And when it comes to local budgetary pressures, there's there's a lot that goes in the hopper and council trying its darndest and city staff trying their darndest to make sure the tax rate for 2024 and each and every year is the lowest it can be. Trust me, they they really want to do that. There's provincial downloading, as we know, and there's also some local cost pressures. And a lot of those go hand in hand with wages. Over the last year, there have been a number of wage increases for Hamilton employees, police officers in the mix as well. And so yesterday, Hamilton councillors voted 12 to 3, an overwhelming vote, to refer the police budget back to the Police Services Board to look for further efficiencies after police asked for an additional $19 million, or 10.2%, this year. Whether that concern can be addressed in any timely fashion, uh, in any way that uh, has not already been attempted in a matter of two weeks, I'm not so certain that that's uh, something that's uh, feasible. That is Hamilton Mayor Andrea Horvath, because the next Hamilton Police Services Board meeting uh, is not before this budget is supposed to be put to bed on February the 15th. So what happens now? Fred Benning is the vice chair of the Hamilton Police Services Board and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Fred, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you this morning? I'm good. First off, let's get your your reaction to the budget being sent back. Was this a surprise? Well, um, I I will say that it definitely is within the purview of council to send it back. So um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't surprised and. Um, uh, welcome the motion. I received the motion last night, and I think, uh, as I say, it is definitely um, their opportunity to send it back. And so now we know that the next Hamilton Police Services Board meeting isn't until after February 15th, in which that's that's the date that City Council wants to uh, solidify and wrap up their budget deliberations. Will there be a special meeting of the Police Services Board to discuss this again? There absolutely will be. There'll be a special meeting on February 13th. So what can be cut? What are some of the items that will have to seriously be looked at? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that there are two pieces to a police budget. One is operating and one is capital. Um, If you combine the two, uh, it is an 8.4% increase, not 10.2%. So, the motion made by the councillor um, to city council about 10.2 um, is not uh, is not accurate. If you take the two numbers together and add them up, as there is only one taxpayer, it is 8.4 percent. Okay. So there are three pieces to the budget that can be looked at. One is the core services. The core services for the for the police service was 5.92%. That that 5.92 covers collective agreements, legislative commitments, employee-related costs, uh, human capital, salaries, WSIB, technology, that sort of thing. The um, In addition to that, we just finished a strategic plan 
uh, for 2023 to 2026, which um, where we had community involvement, we had stakeholders, um, and that is an increase um, that includes things um, that came out of inquests, such as having a missing person unit, um, race-based analytics um, was something that the community wanted to see, things like that. So um, that is an area that could be looked at. And the third one is capital costs. Um, so that's, you know, replacing roofs, uh, looking after all the capital equipment and so on. So um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. But no, it definitely does. There, there's obviously examples there where things can be deferred, I guess, for a year or two or longer if, if need be, or if that's the, uh, the will of the board. Um, really, there's no guarantee that anything will be trimmed, though, right? Well, we, we have, this is five years for me on the police service. We continue to be asked, and we continue to ask our officers to do more with less. Um, that um, there, there is much, there, there isn't much less to do. Uh, we cut and cut and cut. Um, and um, uh, I can only speak on the board, but the, we continue to push the police service to strive to provide service of excellence for the community. And that's what's important. Um, and so we'll see what happens at the meeting. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Fred Benning. He's the vice chair of the Hamilton Police Services Board. City Council has uh, deferred the budget uh, for police back to the board to say, hey, can you find some efficiencies? Fred, do you think this is, part of this is just politics, right? Like council wants to lower the overall tax rate. This is a way to show taxpayers that, listen, we mean business. And if the Police Services Board doesn't find any further savings, Listen, from a council perspective, we tried our best. Do you think there's a little bit of a nugget to this? I don't think it's appropriate for me to give my personal comments. I would encourage your listeners to tune in. Um, our our meetings are all uh, live streamed. Um, and on um, on February 13, that meeting will be live streamed. Um, and uh, your listeners and yourself will hear lots of uh, personal opinions. But... I'm here this morning really just to speak on behalf of the board. Between now and February 13th, uh, which is the date you've identified as when the the board is going to meet again, what kind of chatter is going to happen behind the scenes to say, listen, maybe we should defer this or move that, or is it going to be a quite active conversation? Well, I think we have been very clear to try to be open and transparent. And, um, um, you know, regardless of what is said out there in the community, we are very open and transparent. Line-by-line items of our budget are shown on the website. Um, uh, we have monthly updates um, suggesting that that we don't see all this information uh, as a board is, you know, erroneous. I guess I would say. Um, so there, there, there will be uh, there will be discussions, but um, um, the majority of the discussions will be open. Um, at the at the special meeting on February 13, um, where there will be lots of information shared, I can assure you of that. Well, we are eagerly anticipating what will be shared on the 13th and, and what the final decision is. Fred, really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful day. You too. Fred Benick is the vice chair of the Hamilton Police Services Board. I should point out as well that councillors also removed $12 million, about 1% 
uh, for future hospital redevelopments from the budget. And it looks like the projected residential tax increase, at least at this point, is going to be just under 6%, maybe 6.9 or 6.6, depending on what the Police Services Board comes back with as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. More questions around the Service Ontario kiosks plan in Staples stores, which I'm not a big fan of. Think at the end of the day, our service is going to be hampered. Imagine this. Like right now you go into a Service Ontario location and what, there's four, five, six tellers, people to help you, and you're waiting Right? We wait a long time to renew our health cards or whatever you're there for. We're always in line. And now we're going to go to a kiosk with one, maybe two people? Imagine that line. Bonnie Crombie is the leader of the Liberal Party of Ontario and joins us on GMH on 900 CHML. Ms. Crombie, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thanks very much. I was just envisioning those lineups you were talking about. My goodness. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get the same level of service. No, we sure won't. I mean, these were small businesses. They were paying for their leases, their rent. They also paid for the leasehold improvements to build their kiosks out. Here, what we see is uh, sole source contracts to buddies of the premier, you know, the CEO of Staples. We know they have a relationship. The CEO of Walmart, we know they have a relationship. And they're having all expenses paid. Can you imagine? They're not benefiting Uh, They're benefiting, whereas our small businesses have to pay their own way. We're going to go into these staples and, and in some cases, Walmart service Ontario kiosks. And we'll, we'll be there for a good reason. We have to get things renewed or updated, whatever the case is. And, oh, while I'm here, I'll pick up a, I don't know, a laptop bag or I'll pick up some groceries at this Walmart Supercenter. It seems like a big win for those companies, not so much for the little guy. Well, exactly. And they're also driving businesses to these locations and paying for all the renovations. So I clearly don't understand the business plan here. I think Ontarians need transparency. It looks to me like this government hasn't done their homework. The rationale keeps shifting. It seems very shady. They said there would be a million in cost savings. Now it's 900 over three years. I don't imagine where the cost savings are because they weren't paying the leases anyways. They now are paying for the renovations at the stables and the Walmarts. And these little franchises were convenient for people. They were on transit hubs and people could walk there or take the bus there. I would imagine that we're going to have fewer Service Ontario employees because we're not going to need as many at these kiosks. I mean, this if it is 900000 over three years, that's $300,000 a year, which seems that's like right. a drop in the bucket and, and not really worth the hassle. That's right, and certainly people will be losing jobs. And these uh, in franchisees, this is some of their family businesses that they've been running for over 20 years. But for me, Rick, the issue is the sole source nature of the contract. It seems shady. It seems non-transparent. Why can't there be more transparency? There is a process for doing this. And, and things need to be done properly. There has to be proper accountability. But proper transparency, we need to understand, understand the rationale of why they're doing this, what's the cost savings, and why these big foreign companies are benefiting. Bonnie Crombie is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Ms. Crombie is the leader of the Liberal Party of Ontario. I want to switch gears and talk about provincial downloading, if that is okay, because Hamilton's budget, like many others in this province, struggling under the weight of provincial 
provincial downloading. If you one day become premier, do you have a plan to lighten the load on municipalities? Well, it's very interesting you should say that, because, of course, you know I'm a former mayor uh, of one of the largest cities in the province, just a little bit bigger than than Hamilton. Um, and, in fact, uh, the, big, the Ontario big city mayors are speaking before the pre-budget submissions today to talk about a new deal for cities and how it's very important to review the financing for cities and look at where the deficiencies are. And although we can't run deficits, it just means that we put off projects that we should otherwise be building. Uh, so certainly those are some of the critical critical topics. But yes, this started in the Harris government, another conservative government, the downloading onto municipalities. And this government has continued even more so. It's onerous for the cities, and it means that we can't invest in our own priorities to benefit our residents. For instance, um, providing for uh, asylum seekers, or those in mental health crisis. Mental health has been downloaded to the cities, as have taking care of asylum seekers until they're processed in the system. You can see how onerous this has been for the city of Toronto. Millions of dollars have been paid because when the shelters are full, which they are, we have to pay for the asylum seekers to be lodged in hotels. And this is at the city's uh, on the city's budget and on the city's expense rather than on the province or the federal government. So we got 45 seconds. Would you be in favor of uploading a few more things? Oh, absolutely. You're going to be taking a, a good look at a new deal for cities and how cities can have more resources at their disposal. We've always been asked, cities have been asked, I shouldn't say we am speaking as a former mayor, uh, to build 21st century cities, but with 19th century tools. The tools that were created for cities were done so when we were still largely an agrarian society, and they have to change to meet the needs of, of, the, of residents today who are demanding more and more for their tax dollars. That's a good point. Bonnie, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a great day. Bonnie Crombie is the leader of the Liberal Party of Ontario, offering her thoughts on Service Ontario kiosks and staples and, yes, Walmart stores and municipal downloading or provincial downloading to municipalities. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We all know we have a housing crisis in this country. We need more homes built and fast. There are so many issues in the way, though people to build these homes, developers willing to take a little risk to build these homes, uh, spaces to build these homes, zoning chaos from municipality to municipality. Well, Leon's Furniture is out with a new idea. Yeah, Leon's Furniture of all entities is planning to build 4,000 homes near its headquarters in Toronto. It's received rezoning approval to turn 40 acres of land to allow for the construction of townhouses, mid- and high-rise buildings, and community spaces. And so I thought, could this be the start of something big in home building? It's the focus of our poll question of the day on X at AM900CHML. Dr. Ian Lee is an associate professor in the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University and joins us once again on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML. Dr. Lee, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Could this be the next big thing? No, I don't think so. Um, and, and I don't want anyone to think I'm being negative here. Um, I, I believe profoundly we have a housing crisis. I believe that we have to build a lot more houses, 
CMHC's data is absolutely crystal clear. We're two and a half million, three million short. Not just when I say houses, I don't mean houses, houses. I mean any form of housing. High rise, low rise, townhouse, garden home, doesn't matter. So I'm not, don't want anyone to think I'm playing with words there. We need probably from more north of three million units, housing units. Um, so I'm all in on this, and I, and I believe that uh, for all the, uh, and this is where I profoundly disagree with my progressive friends in the university and in the NGOs, the idea that governments can build all those houses is just absolute nonsense. The, the numbers are staggering when you figure out the average cost per house. I mean, it's in the billions and hundreds of billions. I mean, that's why the private sector has always built houses. Okay, so the case is there. We need more houses. The private sector should be building most of them. Yes, some affordable houses by government, but mostly by private sector. So then why did I say that this is not going to be the trend? Hmm. Um, I, I've been teaching strategy for 35 years, and before that it was nine years in banking, lending money to small and mid-sized businesses, including some real estate companies in Ottawa at that time. And I, I've taught the course uh, ever since. <clears throat> and one of the things I teach, uh, one of the things I teach in my class, it's just a core idea from strategy, it's not my idea, it's Michael Porter from Harvard, is that businesses should focus on their core competencies. Pharmaceutical companies develop, oh my goodness, pharmaceuticals. They don't run banks. Well, who runs banks? Well, that would be banks that specialize in banking. Okay, so in other words, industries and firms, I should say more precisely, firms specialize. Some firms specialize in broadcasting. Some firms specialize in retailing of women's clothing or men's clothing. Uh, some specialize in grocery retailing. They're called Loblaws or Sobeys. And, and the, re- the reason for that is not because of some bureaucratic rule, or, or the logic is that each of these industries are very complex, and it requires a huge amount of knowledge and experience. And the idea that any, any old person can just walk in and build houses, I just don't believe it. I, I worked in a bank, I told you that. I lent money to a company at the time, a very good company in the Ottawa area at the time, they built rental properties, and uh, and I dealt with them. I dealt with the CFO, and I dealt with the CEO, and so forth, and, and just talked to them. You know, you talk daily to your customers, and you realize how quickly, uh, you realize very quickly how complex this industry is. So am I criticizing this company for saying they're going to build houses? No. <clears throat> all, you know, all hands on deck. That's good. But, uh, you know, they're not a home builder, and it is devilishly complex. I mean, I'll give you a trivial, trivial example. I've owned my house for 37 years, and it was an old house I bought. It was over 100 years old when I bought it. And as you can imagine, a 100-year-old house needs an awful lot of work. And for 37 years, I've been renovating it. Every window, every floor, every door, roof, even foundations, the whole nine yards. Hmm. And I've acted as my own general contractor throughout. I I do the subcontracting. I mean, I hire subcontractors. And I'm telling you, Anyone who thinks that, that dealing with building homes is, is simplistic or simple has never acted as their own general contractor. Um, you know, the laws, the rules, the regulations, the electrical code, the zoning code, the building code, permits needed from government on. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> and so, look, I applaud this company, but this is not their core business. Their core business is um, retailing. That doesn't mean that they just walk away. What I pro- I would have done if I was the CEO, and I'm not, I would have gone to a real estate company and said, hey, guys, I've got some land. I can put together some land, and I've got some capital. Yeah. I'd like to partner with you guys who are the experts at building homes. Well, and that's going to happen, uh, right? Like Leon, I would have done because, you know, retailing, uh, what, for those who say, well, so what? There is a ton of case studies 
of real companies, real world companies in the real business world that have diversified into industries where they don't have any experience. And I am telling you, and the, the, the record of this over the last 80, 100 years has been disastrous. When companies expand into markets in which they have no expertise, no experience, no core competencies, they get beaten up by the companies that are experienced. And there are just tons and tons and tons of case studies in the Harvard Business School of real-world companies. It's not theory. And the same with the University of Western Ontario at Ivy. Tons of case studies of companies that diversified into another industry where they had no knowledge or experience. And it's Almost invariably, it ends up disastrously because they just don't know what they're doing. I would think that's why you need a partner. I would think, Ian, that, and we only got a couple minutes here, that if Leon's needs a partner, they need a developer, they need to split these costs. And why not, from their perspective, and maybe this is a PR thing, just say, hey, we have this land, we're going to sell it to said developer, and you do the work. Rick, uh, you're just touching or hitting on exactly what we teach in strategy that there's different strategic paths to success. You can own a subsidiary, you can partner with a subsidiary, or you can take assets that you have and sell them off to another company that is going to develop them more efficiently. I mean, my advice as a strategy analyst who does nothing, but I don't study textbooks, by the way. All I study, all day long, seven days a week, are real companies. And I study their income statements, their balance sheets, their competitors, their market share. I study what they're doing real-world companies in the real world. And if I was advising this company, I would advise them what you just said. I would have said, you know, as the CEO of Leon's, look, we're not a real estate developer. We, we don't have any companies. We're a really good retailer. And by the way, they are. I think they're a great retailer. Mm-hmm. That's their core competency, competencies. And I would have said, look, we've got these assets. They're valuable. They're needed desperately for housing. So I'm going to put them up for sale. I'm going to go to one of the banks or whoever facilitates this very large corporate type of a sale of an asset and uh, put it out to bid and, um, and then say, okay, um, sell, off the, uh, uh, sell off that land to a real estate developer who will develop the land into housing. And if you're worried that they won't build housing, you can actually control who you sell to. You can sell it, make sure you will only sell it to a company that specializes in the development of real estate ho- of, of residential housing. So it, I think that that would be a better way because, I mean, I don't want, uh, you know, you don't want to lose your focus. And this is one of the great words of Michael Porter, the great strategy professor at Harvard Business School. Don't lose your focus. Mm. You know, if you're a pharmaceutical company, stick to your core business. Stick to your knitting, to use the slang English. And if you're a retailer, stick to retailing. That's what you're good at. And don't go off into something else that you're not good at. This is going to be uh, a... This is a mistake some CEOs make because they become very successful in their core business. And then they start to think, hey, look at how good I am. I can succeed in any business. Well, that's not true. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one to follow for sure. experience. Yeah. Dr. Lee, appreciate the time this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. Dr. Ian Lee, Associate Professor in the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. It is going to be interesting to follow over the next couple of years. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You just might need to win the lottery to continue to pay for your auto insurance. The CAA says auto theft has exceeded $1.2 billion in claims in 2022, and a number that's only expected to go up if things do not change quickly. Auto theft in this country is going bananas. And that is probably going to mean that your auto insurance premium is going to go up if it hasn't 
already done so. Elliot Silverstein is the Director of Government Relations with CAA Insurance and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Elliot, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. This is a troubling scenario. It certainly is. I mean, we've seen these numbers go up significantly the last few years. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to look ahead and say to ourselves, if we don't get ahead of this topic now, we're going to have some challenges in, in, in the months and years that ahead. And really what we're trying to do is, is twofold, is, is educate consumers on what they need to do, but also make sure that those conversations and the right people at the table, because we need to see some real meaningful change so that this is not going to become um, even worse in, in this year and in the years ahead. So who needs to step up in this regard and do something or do something differently? You know, everybody plays a role in this. And, and it's not a matter of, of putting the, the, the onus on one group or organization, but it's about, a, it's about everybody really working together. You know, we've seen some fantastic work coming out of law enforcement and government about uh, trying to, to work on that. Uh, we, we know that the manufacturers are at the table, insurers are at the table. Uh, I mean, we're trying to educate people on, on what you know, consumers need to do. Um, but even border services plays a role as well, because, you know, if we can avoid having these vehicles being exported, we're also further ahead that way. But, it's, you know, it's not that one piece will fix it. But also at the same time, if one piece isn't at the table, it's not all going to work. Is there a general number when someone has their vehicle stolen that their premium will go up? Does it go up by X dollars? I know there's so many factors. You know, it's not necessarily that it's going to go up by a certain amount. It's more its more a matter of the fact that, you know, in a situation where somebody does um, experience this, you know, what you want, what you what you run into a situation of is that is that people will, um, you know, cer- certainly uh, be challenged because they could see their rates go up. But it's more about trying to avoid the situation because you're going to have additional costs that a consumer may also face. So, for example, if you do have your car stolen, then you could end up having to buy a new car at a higher rate, at a higher interest rate, and it becomes more challenging. So, you know, certainly there's a lot of hidden costs that go into, um, you know, these, these, these challenges, these thefts. And, you know, it's not that it's simply just the rates going up, but it's all these additional costs that go around it that become challenging. And at the same time, I mean, consumers are already stretched to the limit with other things. Inflation, interest rates, just the cost of living is, is sky high these days. And that's the challenge for us is that, you know, again, you know, we, we always have a challenge that people are having the struggles of how much auto insurance costs. But if, if the costs are going to be going up for other factors, you know, like you said, like inflation and otherwise, and then being hit by auto, uh, auto insurance rate increases because of these challenges, you know, you want to do your best to prevent it. So that's why we're talking about having a lot of tips. Because, again, you know, we, we've heard situations where people have had repeat cars being stolen. And that's, again, where the situation becomes more challenging for a driver. Because, you know, if you make multiple claims but having your car stolen, it becomes a challenge for insurers to look at it and saying, well, what's the problem here? And what are you doing differently? So that's why we're talking about using visual deterrence. And things like the, uh, the steering wheel locks, like the, the club, or parking your car in garages. Because things that you can do to change your habits, some simple things to do, could help reduce the risk. Because again, we can't say you're going to eliminate the risk of auto theft, but if you can make it harder for somebody to get access to your car, you're already further ahead. We'll get to some of uh, those tips that uh, Elliot is talking about in just a matter of minutes. We're with Elliot Silverstein, the Director of Government Relations with CAA Insurance. They are saying that auto theft in this country in 2022 exceeded $1.2 billion in claims, and that number is only expected to go up from here on in if things don't change and change quickly. When it comes to vehicle immobilizers, our our cars are basically rolling computers. Why aren't these standard in all new vehicles? So, you know, there's there's a couple of factors here. The, the, The challenge more for us is that vehicle standards 
in Canada have not been updated since 2007. So if you think about it, you know, where we were 17 years ago, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have tablets. There, the, the access to technology was so vastly different back then. So our vehicle standard rules are, are, are sitting in that, in that time frame. Um, we have push-button starts. We have all these convenience tools that are in our cars now that are actually now the, the mechanism for many is how we're getting access to the, to the cars with low frequency uh, um, push-button starts and, and, the key, and the key fobs. Those are the challenges because, again, that's how thieves in many cases are getting access to our cars. So we don't want to trade off convenience um, you know, in, in this respect. But that's where we really need to see some immediate changes is that if we make the, the uh, standards more, more aligned to conventional uh, current um, um, standards and, and, and uh, technology, we're also going to be further ahead. So it's not a matter of, you know, what, what, what has been done, because in the past, the, um, the, the Canadian government has had strong levels of, of, uh, of technology and requirements for vehicles. The challenge is now is that we're, we're very much behind the eight ball because it's been 17 years. Some of the tips uh, that you were referring to, and, and many of them make sense, getting uh, a steering wheel lock like uh, the club, you know, locking your doors, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, nothing is uh, of value in sight inside your vehicle. And then it gets, uh, you know, technology is, is now our friend when it comes to perhaps installing a or storing a GPS tracker inside your vehicle. Talk about that. Absolutely. I mean, really, we look at it as two parts. There, there's the visual deterrence that I mentioned earlier that you talk about that, that can help um, have thieves kind of turn away from your vehicle. But then there's also having those GPS trackers, like you mentioned, that um, can help identify where the car goes. Because, again, a lot of our focus is on let's try to avoid your car being stolen in the first place. But if it is taken, at least having that air tag can give you some, some understanding of where your car has been taken to. But the, the one challenge to that, and the one thing I'll, I'll highlight there, is that even if you know where your vehicle is, do not engage with, with thieves. That's the thing. If you know that your, your, your car is parked in a certain location, um, you know, contact police. Like that's, the, that's the ultimate uh, uh, component there, is that it's not a mechanism for you to go and confront those who've taken your vehicle. We want to make sure that everybody stays safe in these situations as well. Yeah, that is ultimately important. Let police do uh, the policing work. Elliot, we'll have to leave it there. So appreciative of your time this morning. Thank you so much. Elliot Silverstein is the Director of Government Relations with CAA Insurance. Uh, Some of the other tips to keep your vehicle safe. Avoid leaving your vehicle unattended while it's running. I think that's a no-brainer. Covering your VIN number, your vehicle identification number, right on the front dash so it's not visible on the dashboard because Steve's use utilize this and technology to steal your vehicle uh, you can get more on the caa website you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml well, this is an interesting yet sad story as well and it involves former late night talk show host jay leno he has filed for conservatorship over his wife due to her dementia which really highlights the importance of proper estate planning so his wife's name is mavis uh, Jay is 73, and as she battles this ruthless disease, he is getting all his ducks uh, lined up. And he said, um, I'm going to set up a will in case something happens, which by that age, you would think that most people would have a will. Well, not necessarily so. Don Fox is an executive financial consultant at the Fox Group, IG Private Wealth Management, and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Don, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Ah, thanks, Rick. Good morning to you, too. Estate planning, is this something that is on many people's minds when you meet with them? 
No, actually, it is something we discuss, and it's usually one of those things that we bring up. Talk about, you know, we're talking about wills and estate planning and power of attorneys on your good morning show here, Rick. Yes. You're changing the, you're changing the spelling of morning. That's what you're doing. <laughs> oh, bum <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, um, yes, no, it's, it's one of those things that um, it's, it's, some, it's the elephant in the room. People know, yes, death and taxes, um, they're inevitable. But it's something that's often not forgotten about. And to be honest, 71% of Canadians do not have a power of attorney. And Jay Leno would have loved to have a power of attorney in place rather than get this conservatorship, which, by the way, in Canada, we have, it's basically the same as trying to get a guardianship. We don't actually have the same terminology, Hmm. but you go to the courts and you try to get guardianship to look after, in this case, his wife, um, so that you can have control of, you know, changing bank accounts, investments, etc. But if he had already had a power of attorney in place, he wouldn't have had to go through this. And it's so important for Canadians to do this power of attorney. And, of course, uh, wills are, you know, a second, you know, rate in, rate in line with that, where only 61% of Canadians have a will. Wow. So why is a power of attorney so important? In the event of the death of a loved one, a spouse in this example, what does that person do? And, and what happens if you don't have a power of attorney? Well, it's actually a uh, power of attorney is while you're alive. So when she has dementia, um, it allows you to have control. And there's two types of power of attorneys. There's a power of attorney, a general power of attorney, which allows you to look after assets. So you can change a bank account, sell a house. You can have, you can basically sign her name in this case for anything that she has ownership of. Then there's a power of attorney for personal care. So that if, you know, somebody is sick or has dementia, um, doesn't want to be basically hooked up to machines to prolong their life, they have a power of attorney to allow someone to look after their their medical wishes. So two types of power of attorneys in Canada, and it's unfortunate, but, you know, Jay Leno did not have these in place before, and this is why he's applying to the courts for this uh, guardianship, if you will. How vital is this? I mean, and and you mentioned, you know, 71% of Canadians don't have a power of attorney. When that is not in place, it is certainly more difficult to get through the process, right? Oh, it's, it's extremely difficult. So now you have to go to the courts. They, they will appoint a power attorney for you. Now, hopefully they will appoint the spouse, which usually they will favor in terms of other people. And you, there's usually not a lineup for people to look after people's affairs. But in the meantime, every decision before this is done, you have to have a, um, the courts decide the decision for you. And this is very time-consuming, uh, cumbersome, and just, just a pain. You do not want to go through this. And then, of course, eventually they will you know, say, okay, yes, the spouse, you are the power of attorney. Jay Leno, you are the power of attorney. And you can make all these decisions. But then uh, when she does pass on, and if he, he has not done a power of attorney, he may not have also done a will. And in Canada, in Ontario, every province is different. We already have a will written for us. It's just written by the government. And you may not like what they have to say. So it's always good to have both of these things both the power of attorney and the will done at the same time. I prefer to get it done properly by a lawyer so that it's all done. So you have your two power of attorneys, your general power of attorney, your uh, power of attorney for personal care, and you have your will all done, all organized, because it's extremely important to have these affairs. Hey, it's still January. Um, Those New Year's resolutions are still coming here. So why don't we get that done right early in the year here? 
Absolutely. And uh, the folks at the Fox Group, IG Private Wealth Management, can certainly help you out in that regard. Head online to donfox.net, or you can listen to Planning Your Financial Future Saturdays at 8, right here on 900 CHML, and get a wealth of information uh, through that show. Don, really appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for uh, giving us some insight on powers of attorney and proper estate planning. Anytime. Thanks, thanks, thanks for letting me on the show here, Rick. Don Fox is an executive financial consultant with the Fox Group, IG Private Wealth Management. Again, online, donfox.net. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton Victory Gardens has received an Ontario Trillium grant of $25,000. You might thought, oh, that's not a lot of money. Well, it's going to allow them to continue their critical work in the community of combating food insecurity. To tell us more, here is Mark Tennant, the chair of Hamilton Victory Gardens. Mark, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Tell us about Hamilton Victory Gardens. Well, I'll begin by sharing its history. Uh, During the First and Second World Wars, people in Canada, the U.S., Great Britain, France, and Germany would use public spaces in their own yards to grow vegetables. These were known as Victory Gardens and contributed to the war effort and still an important sense of community when the world needed it most. That's how we um, got our name. And over the years, Hamilton Victory Gardens has brought people together in a volunteer capacity to plant and harvest vegetables for the purpose of reducing food insecurity for many residents in Hamilton. And so how is that going? It's going very well. We have had to be innovative and creative over the years with land being sold and looking for innovative ways to reduce food insecurity. We've expanded to three indwell uh, community home locations. And this year we also moved into a greenhouse in partnership with Compass, Compass Health. So, you know, we just continue to look for ways to grow fresh vegetables uh, and By that, we distribute it so those in Hamilton who benefit from those fresh vegetables, it helps them if they are um, addressing food insecurity. We are seeing many more people in this community, and I'm sure this is the case in other cities as well, where more and more people are relying on food banks just to uh, get by because, you know, their their dollar has been stretched. They're looking at increased rental rates or housing costs, uh, um, interest rates going up. Maybe they have credit card bills. So they're saying, listen, I got to buy some food or I got to get some food. I need to go to the food bank. Are you seeing an increased usage at Hamilton Victory Gardens as well? Well, as we continue to distribute it to these local food banks, these food programs, we are hearing from the recipients that their numbers are going up. Uh, so food insecurity is no longer just for those in the low income bracket. It's for the working class and it's for many others who may be struggling to put food on the table while paying their bills. So, yes, we are hearing that um, we we do what we can do to uh, bring the fresh vegetables to seniors programs, food banks uh, to assist with that um, that uh, need of reducing food insecurity. It's great to hear. Mark Tennant is our guest. Mark is the chair of Hamilton Victory Gardens, which supplies, as you can clearly tell, fresh vegetables to uh, local food banks and senior centers to uh, make sure that their food insecurity challenges are being met. And without the help of volunteers, I mean, Hamilton Victory Gardens would be in a tight spot. Talk about the volunteers and the amazing work that they do. Well, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without volunteers. We are volunteer driven. Um, so they play many roles. They may, uh, some of them are site coordinators uh, and many of them come in to uh, plant the vegetables or plant the seeds or the transplants. 
maintain the gardens, um, do whatever's needed to be done, and then harvest it. And then um, the recipient of the Ontario Trillium Foundation grant was our volunteer coordinator, Cher. Uh, she trains these uh, volunteers and she assists in the transportation of these vegetables to other locations. So uh, the benefit of the grant was to have a volunteer coordinator continue to recruit, retain and train volunteers, which is um, a need that we have to continue. We're in the uh, the middle of winter. Is the garden still open? Is there stuff that's been canned? Uh, talk about the you know stretching the need into the winter months. Well, the good thing for us is with our partnership with Compass Health, we are in the greenhouse. Therefore, we now have a 12-month program. Uh, normally, we would finish in late October and get going again in early April. Now, we continue in the greenhouse. So uh, that is a benefit where we can continue going. And we're going to continue looking for opportunities just like that, where we can be a 12-month operation, not just an eight-month operation. Do you have a special story to tell, whether it come, whether it's a, another board member or a volunteer, someone who's helping out and is just making an, a, an incredible difference, or someone who's receiving some of these um, uh, items and is having just a better day because of it? Well, I can begin with our long-term volunteer, Greta, uh, and her husband, Jerry, who we lost uh, just this past year, who have been leading the Macassa Lodge Garden for many years. She also assists us with going to the greenhouse and um, getting our transplants ready and distributing them. And she's been a leader for us in training other site coordinators and understanding horticulture and understanding what to do and how to do it. So she's been a superstar for us. Uh, and her again, her name is Greta. And then just the many stories that we hear from many of them who are joining in at our gardens about the recipients of the food. Uh, and I guess the probably one other story is that we bring volunteers together from all walks of life. We're bringing unity. We're bringing community. And you know what? From all walks of life, from all cultures, people are coming together for the purpose of um, horticulture. And it's a wonderful thing to be a part of just seeing how we're able to contribute to that. It's a great initiative. If you want to volunteer or perhaps you want to donate, you can go online to hamiltonvictorygardens.org. Mark, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for what you do in this community. It's of great help for sure. Well, thank you for having me, Rick. It was an honor to join you this morning. Mark Tennant is the chair of the Hamilton Victory Gardens. And uh, again, you can go online, hamiltonvictorygardens.org, to uh, contribute to the cause, either through volunteer hours. Maybe you have a son or daughter or a grandchild who needs some volunteer hours. I'm sure they would greatly appreciate those hours in the garden. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Speaking of things that are new and tantalizing your taste buds, Starbucks has introduced a new coffee here in Canada that includes a, a little zhuzh of olive oil. Never imagining that something that has been around for thousands of years could actually create this luscious, velvet, extraordinary flavor that lingers in your mouth creates this incredible viscosity on your lips and your tongue and enhances every single hot and cold beverage. As of yesterday, coffee lovers can order what is described as a velvety, smooth, deliciously lush coffee to enjoy an elevated coffee experience. Starbucks is debuting the new Oleato Golden Foam Iced Shaken Espresso with Toffee Nut and Oleato 
oat latte. When they were released in the U.S., though, there are a few stories about people experiencing digestive issues. Is this drink good for you, and does it even taste good? Well, we are lucky enough to be joined by Shannon Crocker, registered dietitian and nutritionist who went out yesterday and tried one of these beverages. Shannon, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. So did you try the Golden Foam Iced Shaken Espresso with Toffee Nut or the Oleato Oat Latte? Well, you know what? For research purposes for today, I actually tried both. Oh, well. And so the results are? Well, you know what? So the ice shake and espresso with toffee nut, um, it really is, like they say, it's very luxurious. It's its tasty. It's quite um, got a, a really nice, rich flavor. And uh, and it's quite sweet. Like to me, it's more dessert than coffee, honestly, uh, because it is sweetened with the toffee nut and the golden foam, which is where they infuse the olive oil into um, the foam on the top is, is also sweetened. So it's it was it was quite, um, you know, it was quite sweet. Uh, and, I, and I liked it if it was, you know, but again, it was more sort of dessert than coffee. Right. You could taste the olive oil for sure. Um, the oat latte this is where the olive oil is steamed with oat milk. And this this one did not win me over. <laughs> uh, and it may just be because the oat milk is just um, too forward in that drink. And, and I have a pre-existing dislike of oat milk. It's not a flavor that I appreciate. So I didn't love that. I definitely would not be going back for that one. So when it comes to the olive oil, maybe we'll focus in on the one that you did like. Was mm. it Was it an infused kind of taste or was the olive oil distinctly... Uh, a flavor that you tasted? Uh, you know what? I, it's because of the toffee nut and the and the sweetness of the foam. It's it's a little bit more subtle than I anticipated. Mm. Um, you could definitely taste it because the olive oil is actually a really good quality extra virgin olive oil that on its own has a lot of full flavor. So I would say it sort of complements the drink in there. It's not like you drink and go, oh, wow, that's a, I'm drinking olive oil. It's sort of a little bit more subtle than that. Hmm. Shannon Crocker is a registered dietitian and nutritionist. You can check her out online at shannoncrocker.ca and uh, went out and tried one of these, or both of these, a new Starbucks offerings that includes olive oil. We know that olive oil is a main ingredient in the ever-popular Mediterranean diet. So is this good for you? Well, you know what? There's potential benefits to uh, coffee in terms of health. Like, for example, we see research around uh, benefits with heart health, with type 2 diabetes, with cognition even. Uh, and we see those same potential health benefits for an eating pattern rich in olive oil. So that's the Mediterranean diet. So, you know, separately, there's definitely benefits to having both of those in uh, your overall eating pattern, for sure. When you mix them together, does something magical happen <laughs> in terms of health? No, uh, I'm not convinced that that's necessary, but certainly both of them are, you know, are nourishing um, foods or drinks. And so together, you know, I mean, you do get the benefits of both. There were some stories out of the U.S. when it debuted down at um, uh, American locations of Starbucks that people had digestive issues. Were those just one-offs or, or uh, should people with, you know, certain uh, digestive conditions think twice about ordering this? Well, you know what? I think it's very individual. So certainly, you know, there may be some people out there who drink coffee, you know, on an empty stomach and help, the, you know, find help. They find it uh, helps them to get things moving in the morning, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and olive oil, you know, there's not a whole lot of research around olive oil and digestive health in terms of, you know, regularity and your bowels. But 
um, on its own, it away from food. Again, if you don't drink food uh, or eat food with with this beverage, it may have a mild uh, laxative effect for some people. So not for all, um, and maybe for people who have uh, that same effect with coffee, it, you know, it could be a bit of a double whammy. But I I think it's more, you know, it, from what I've read and looked at online, it, it's a bit of a social media phenomenon. You know, mm -hmm. one person's heard about it and now other people are feeling it as well. Not to say that some people don't have the situation. They might, but I don't know that it's, you know, widespread. Is this going to be as popular as pumpkin spice being added to virtually every drink under, under the sun now? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't say I, I, you know, I did a little poll of myself and, and I think that, you know, there's some people who are definitely intrigued and will try it. Um, and there's other people who are like, there's no way I'm going for that combo. Whereas, you know, <laughs> pumpkin pie and pumpkin spice, people are on board with that. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. Time will tell. Well, Shannon, thanks for uh, taste testing and give us uh, your review. And I encourage our listeners to check out your website, shannoncrocker.ca. Appreciate the time this morning. Thanks so much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That is Shannon Crocker, registered dietitian and nutritionist. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you... You rate and review.